Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. And I'm here with you very late on a Sunday night uh, on the West Coast and very early on Monday morning on the East Coast uh, after the Lakers at the end of the Cavs-Pistons game decided that they needed to fire Byron Scott, their coach of the past two seasons. Uh, meaning that I had to write about it, and so did my guest, uh, Bill Orem, my longtime friend and former Post intern and now ace beat writer for the Lakers for the Orange County Register. Bill, how's it going? I'm good, Tim. I just have to wonder what the what the Lakers saw in that Cavs-Pistons game that made them decide <laughs> to pull the trigger on Byron. It was great. Uh, uh, my uh, my longtime friend and the best NBA writer in the business, Adrian Wojnarowski, tweets at about, I don't know, three minutes to go in the in the Cavs Pistons games this close game going back and forth boom Lakers have let go of Byron Scott it's like oh all right I guess I have to write about something now um what what this is this is kind of an inside baseball thing but uh you know for people who are on a beat when something like this happens they're always caught in the middle of stuff so for you you know it's a Sunday night on the west coast and I'm sure you probably were just trying to have kind of a quiet weekend off after what's been a pretty insane season for you i imagine right oh yeah my wife and i were sitting here watching netflix um <laughs> you know we'd we'd figured that if something was going to happen with byron it was still probably a few more days away um not late on a sunday but i should have been more prepared for this because two years ago when mike d'antoni resigned that happened on like a wednesday night um around the same time in the evening and i was at a kickball game and and readers of the post will will appreciate this. Uh, Rick Mace, who's a, a great sports writer at the Washington Post, was in town covering one thing or another in L.A. And he was in my living room. And we were going to go to dinner, and he said he just sat there and like as I as I wrote about Mike D'Antoni resigning. So these things do have a way of of cropping up in, at really unexpected and inconvenient times. Just, not just unexpected and inconvenient, but really the worst possible time for <laughs> exactly, anyone having exactly. a, anyone having a social life. It's just kind of the uh, the the rhythms of a beat. It just tends to be a a complete debacle. So so let let's get down to the brass taxes situation. So I, I think it's I mean the the piece I just wrote that just went up late overnight here at the Washington Post is that you know I don't think anybody would really argue that deciding not to bring back Byron Scott is a bad idea. I mean, the last two years were pretty much a disaster. Um, you know, he was kind of at war at times with the number two pick in the draft last year, D'Angelo Russell publicly, which is strange. Um, but be that as it may, the timing seems odd to do it, not just to do it on a Sunday night, but to do it 10 days into the off season. So from, from the Los Angeles perspective, um, is there is there any reason why they would have waited 10 days to make a decision that they really... You know, it's not like the Lakers were in the playoffs for the last day of the season. They had months to think about this. Is there is there any reason why it would have taken this long? Yeah, the growing belief among people I'd talked to was that Byron might have um, can, might have had enough goodwill with the front office um, that they'd bring him back for another season, or at least to start another season. Obviously, the dynamic of coaching Kobe Bryant through his last two seasons while trying to bring along young talent was excruciatingly difficult for, for any coach. And, and this was not going to be a playoff team, regardless of who was at the helm, if Phil Jackson was coaching. Um, so I think there was a, a, a faction of the Lakers front office that would have liked to have seen him come back. 
But then you're also dealing with the reality, how do you sell this to free agents? The Lakers have just a ton of cap space this summer, like $65 million. If you go into these meetings with the top guys that you want to bring in, um, you know, when you get in a room with a Kevin Durant, who probably isn't coming here anyway, but like, how do you, how do you sell Byron Scott and his, um, uh, uh, 38 wins in two seasons? That's a real challenge. So I think that common sense ultimately prevailed, which was that Byron Scott, nice guy, beloved by the organization, um, just had not done anything in two years to really push things forward. And let's be real. Like, He's not perceived as a very progressive coach. That's not just a perception. He is he is an old school guy, kind of with the drill sergeant mentality, with a very young team. And he acknowledged late in the season that he had struggled to adapt to communicate, uh, excuse me, communicating with young players. That that young players didn't um, respond to his style as well as they would have twenty years ago. Uh, when one of the final Lakers games, he said that when he played, if coach said do it. You did it. And now coach says do it and players say why. And he didn't understand that. And so that's kind of like the sort of communication gap that that Scott and these young Lakers were dealing with. And and look, it's 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 a good day, I think, in the eyes of the young players like D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson. Obviously, they're not sure who's coming in, but um, I think they're excited for change as well, based on what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing. Yeah. And I would think they would, given as you you kind of touched on a lot of the things that happened this year with this team but I guess that comes back to my fundamental question which is I mean I had heard similar things that you know it did kind of seem like Byron was coming back so so if that's the case or at least it seemed like that was the case then why the sudden reversal of fortune and why why 10 days into the offseason it just it just strikes me as very very strange timing for them to to decide to, to reverse course like this especially given I mean, look, I think you would agree Tom Thibodeau was never coaching the Lakers because they right. weren't going to give over the power that he wanted to coach that team. However, the Washington Wizards in the, the, the whole market of my employer just hired a coach that I think many people would have thought would have been a perfect fit for that team, which is Scott Brooks, Absolutely. a California guy, has proven to be very good with a young developing team, um, which is what the Lakers are now trying to do, has a connection with Kevin Durant. Like, all, all these things would line up. So so why why do this now after, you know, not only Thibodeau, but especially Brooks, a guy who probably would have made more sense, is off the table now for them? I think that all that, because I mean, you're not going to get any argument here. I think, I think um, a couple of things. One, the Lakers are not going to let anyone else's timeline affect their timeline. I think there's still enough of a confidence in what they're doing that 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 they will prevail ultimately. So I I think um, Scott Brooks is a guy they probably would have interviewed, but they must have known um, that, that that was not the guy they ultimately wanted. And I think that is kind of what points things in a different direction, where they knew that the guy they want for this job is was not going to be hired in the next in the first in the first ten days of the off season. Um, and and that kind of is that points toward a Luke Walton, who is the guy that you're hearing right. from basically everyone. I mean, I had one one person in the know, not with the Lakers, but in the league tonight, say there is nobody else. Right? Like who else is there? I think is what is what he said to me. And then and, and and it's a good question because once you take Scott Brooks off the table, Tom Thibodeau, as you said, was never a good fit here. Um, and I think frankly, the Lakers um, were almost spared that decision because Tom Thibodeau is obviously the most um, 
uh, attractive candidate just in general on the market this year. But like you said, wanted way too much um, control that the Lakers are not going to cede. And also, would, that, would he have been a good fit with young uh, athletic players like D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson? Um, that's unclear. So I think I think the Lakers are probably pleased they didn't have to make that decision. Um, but I, I, th- I think that that's a good question. Why not just do it on the last day of the season? Instead, they run Byron Scott out for an exit interview where he says to the media that he's confident that he'll be back, that he doesn't feel like he needs an assurance that he'll be back. And and Mitch Kupchak says that Byron did an excellent job given the circumstances. Now, what Kupchak said back on April 15th, that's two days after Kobe scores 60 points and everybody feels good at the end of a really, really lousy season, uh, was that they weren't going to adjust their timeline. And like they've always done you know, since the days of Jerry bus, that they would meet a couple weeks after things had settled down and assess. Um, but I don't believe for one second that they decided in the last 10 days what to do or, or allow me to rephrase that they didn't have a strong feeling that they were moving in this direction. I don't think, I don't think this is a surprise necessarily uh, to those within the organization. Although I've talked to people today who, who said they could have seen it going either way. Yeah, no, and I, and I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and I mean, the guy that to me, this, that, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the guy that this points to is, is Luke Walton. And for me, that's fascinating on a couple levels. I mean, the sure. first the first is obviously the fact that, you know, Luke's just, not only is he a Southern California guy, he's also a guy that spent a ton of his career with the Lakers. Um, it, they, the Lakers want to go back to the Laker family. That's always their thing to do. And, the, but but the the way juicier part than that is that by hiring Luke Walton, I think the dream scenario for Jeannie Buss remains in place, which is sure. you bring in Luke Walton for this season. The team is still terrible. She then gets rid of her brother and Mitch Kupchak, or at least just her brother, and she brings her fiancé, Phil Jackson, back from the Knicks when his opt-out in his contract will come up to become – the czar of the Lakers and run the team with her and her brother will be out of the picture and then they can do whatever they want. So in, uh, I know that's a jumping a lot of steps ahead because they haven't even hired Luke Walton yet, but I mean, how much do you think that a lot of these other factors that are kind of floating around and frankly have been for at least a year are at play here? What's going on right now? Well, it's interesting because you're basically talking about two different factions of the Lakers hierarchy where you, you have Jeannie Buss. Um, you, you're kind of envisioning a scenario where Jeannie Buss is meddling in the hiring of the coaching to, um, to well, pick. I don't, even, I don't necessarily mean she's meddling, just that it, if, if he gets hired, it would, it would certainly fit into well, the, gr- abs- the worldview she wants to absolutely. have. Absolutely, and that's what's so interesting but also tricky because, because – that's something that Jim Buss is certainly aware of. They like they like Luke Walton on the face, but also bringing Luke Walton fits into this puzzle that all that paves the road to Jim Buss being replaced by Phil Jackson. So it's it's a perfectly plausible scenario that is not being ruled out by anyone. But but the the figures are, are really interesting, especially because Jeannie Buss has, by all accounts remained hands-off in terms of basketball operations well, she, she did she not said, she did not have she did not weigh in on 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 the coaching change well, as far she, as flat I out, it. she flat out said she Next hasn't year. talked to, to byron scott in absolutely in two years basically which mm-hmm. i thought was a pretty strange thing to say but that mm-hmm. just further underlines the fact that she has tried to basically just let them do their thing and and i mean maybe in a 
maybe in a, a, a kind of a, a macabre sense, maybe just, you know, let them hang themselves with their own rope and then come in at the end of this, you know, supposed three-year timeline and say, all right, you guys had your fun, now get out of the way. I don't know, but, um, the, yeah, you're right. She, uh, By all indications, she has to stay completely out of the way. Yeah, so I think that's what's kind of interesting is that it does – you can almost imagine if, if Jeannie was in on these conversations and it was like, okay, let's like – let's let's – you know, start laying the foundation to get everything to work in her own maniacal little, you know, uh, plan. <laughs> right. Um, it makes, it makes perfect sense, but there are kind of these different factions at play where Jeannie is not necessarily hiring. She's not hiring the coach. The person who is hiring the coach would very much like to not be replaced by Phil Jackson in a year. Right. So I, I just, I, so I think that it could still very easily play out the way you describe, but it's just, there are some different forces at play. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, so if, if, Let's say Luke Walton decides to stay with the Warriors. I mean, he has he has said that he isn't necessarily going to rush into a job. I think it's fair to say there's a certain level of turmoil with the Lakers, just like there is with the Knicks, the two teams that are thought to be you know kind of waiting to to try to take a run at him at some point this off season now. Um, but so let's say he says, you know what, I, I'm not doing this right now. Um, who who do you think are some guys that that might make sense for this job going forward? Well, the Lakers were interested in Kevin Ollie two years ago when they hired Byron Scott. He was kind of the college coach du jour. Um, I know there are some young players with the Lakers who are fond of Kevin Ollie. Um, I, you know, Kevin I Durant that, also is fond of Kevin Ollie. If that matters, absol- too. absolutely. Um, again, I think that if 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 Kevin Ollie was the key to hiring to, or the key to landing Kevin Durant or keeping Kevin Durant, I think the, the Thunder just would have hired him. Right, um, but, right, exactly. But if, if if he was this like if he was this lockdown sure thing to getting Kevin Durant, um, but but I um, let's see who else was out there. Uh, you know, Jeff Hornacek I think did really good things with young with young guards in Phoenix. He's a guy I think the Lakers um, will be will have some interest in. Jay Wright's out there. Jeff Van Gundy. Jay um, Wright. Jay Wright, to me, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Jay Wright is a very Lakers hire. And I, I, I like Jay Wright a lot. I mean, you would like Jay Wright. He's a fantastic guy with the media. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's a, he certainly dresses the part. He's got a lot of star power, um, given what he did with Villanova this year. And look, he might not even want to go to L.A. He, he's a Philly guy, born and raised. He might be very content to just coach the, the Wildcats for another 15 right. years and hang it up. But, I mean, that, you know, I, I mentioned him as a guy in my column. I actually didn't think of Hornacek when I was just kind of ripping off a quick reaction piece. But I, I think I think Hornacek would make a lot of sense. Um, I think I think Hornacek makes a lot of te- sense objectively. Um, and obviously he's a guy who would be interested in that job. He's sure. obviously looking for employment. I mean, I don't think you have to really stretch your imagination to say with some certainty that he's interested in the Lakers job. Sure. Uh, but, but the Lakers also have an M.O., and they really like former Lakers, or they really like champions, or they like right. to they like they like a splashy hire. Right. He's not Hornacek. he's not checking the boxes for them on that. He's just right. a good, solid coach, and that's not you know. And I I think to their detriment at times. I think that's not the move the Lakers are going to make. Well, and I and I don't know if I can say this on the Washington Post podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's don't it's, curse. I, but it, 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 it some high some coaching hires kind of come down to balls. Right, like okay, if if two, is it? Can I say that? Yes. Two years. That's fine. <laughs> if, if, if two years ago, the the Lakers, you know, maybe the best coach available two years ago when the Lakers hired Byron Scott was Quinn Snyder, who had been a Lakers assistant, 
was lit making looking to make the jump from Atlanta to a head coaching job. Obviously, got the Jazz job and has done really good things there. Right. Um, in two seasons, I mean, the Lakers could have hired him then. He had a relationship with Kobe. He would have been good with young players, but it didn't really check those boxes we're talking about. In the same way, I think kind of a Hornacek figure is kind of the same thing. Not not that it takes a ton of a ton of um, uh, guts to go hire a guy who was a coach of the year finalist no, but listen, two years ago. But no, you're 100% right. The Lakers don't hire just good, solid coaches. I mean, it's just not what they do. They hire guys that have some level of glitz to them. I mean, people can mm-hmm. say that Byron Scott doesn't have any. Byron Scott's a guy who won. He won three championships won, with the Lakers. Won championships with the Lakers. Yep. He got two to two finals as a coach, even though it was a long time ago. Um, uh, you know that that's a guy that they can go. Here's Byron Scott, and people in LA are going to go. Oh, look, it's Byron Scott. You know, nobody's well, and, and, nobody's going to do that they, with Jeff Hornacek or Quinn Snyder or or some other assistant who's a good assistant on a. a and team also, now. they could say, "Here's Byron Scott," and people could say. Oh yeah, we'll kind of overlook the fact you just won twenty seven games right. the previous season. Right, exactly. And and but you know, the Luke Walton thing is going to rule the day um until until Luke either comes out and says he doesn't want the job or, or he the takes it. hire someone else. Right. I or, mean, right. It, it, it right. I mean, he is he is far and away the leading candidate for this job. Um it makes so much sense for him. Obviously spent the the, the bulk of his career here. He ha- has a home two miles from the Lakers practice facility. Uh, it, 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 it really makes a lot of sense. Now there are some really practical questions. He did great things with the, with the, with the warriors, uh, 39 and four. Is that right? Um, coach, coach of the month twice, you know, the pedigree, the coaching pedigree while brief is there. I mean, he, he coached them, you know, well beyond halfway to, to the best record in NBA history. So, I mean, that's, that's great. And he's a Laker, but also he, he implemented. He maintained a system that was already implemented. There was, was no mind, development was, of young players. Luke Walton was minding the shop, and that's not a criticism because not that was a that that's not an easy job to do. But he, he, you know, Steve Kerr, like you said, Steve Kerr implemented a system, and Luke Walton maintained it. And there's a big difference between maintaining one and implementing implementing your own somewhere else. Yeah, and the Lakers' job is vastly different. It's not coming into a situation that is ready-made for success. It is a situation where you have a few pieces, and you're going to be assembling more as your tenure goes on, and and there's going to be constant adjustments, constant tweaking, constant overhaul. And you have to be progressive, you have to be thoughtful, you have to be patient. And those are all qualities that Luke Walton may have, but he hasn't necessarily demonstrated all of them as a head coach. No, I agree. And, and and here's the other thing, too, right? Luke Walton has said a lot of times this year one thing over and over and over again. I'm not rushing into a job. And and to me, if you look at the Laker job, it's a lot like the Nick job, where these are two jobs with young talent, with cap space, and big markets, and marquee franchises that guys should want to work for. However, there is severe dysfunction in both of them, at the top levels of the organization. And if you work for the Golden State Warriors, the thing you should learn more than anything else is that that organization, from ownership all the way down to the last trainer on the staff, is all on the same page at all times. They have debates about stuff, and they they they'll you know they really debated stuff like trading uh, Clay Thompson for Kevin Love. I mean that was a that was a trade that was kind of endlessly debated, and eventually they passed on and. 
you know, they've, they've had other things that they had to kind of come down the pipe on and decide what they, whether they were going to do it or not. But that team is all, everybody's all rowing in the same direction. And you go to the Knicks or you go to the Lakers right now, that's not the case. I mean, it's just factually not what's happening with those teams. And I really wonder if Luke Walton looks at, looks at the Lakers like he, you know, I think he might have already looked at the Knicks and said, you know what, I'm going to wait until I can go to a situation where everybody in the organization fits and I can have the best chances possible to have success. I think you are, I think you are, uh, undervaluing the, the relationship. And, and I know that's a little bit crazy. Gonna take, it, I'm, I'm not, not saying, saying he's not going to take the job either. I just yeah, wonder if I, that's going to, that's going to get in the way of him taking it. That's all. I, I don't think Luke Walton is necessarily, you know, I know a lot of people who know him. I don't, I don't know him well personally, but I know a lot of people who do. And, and my understanding is I don't think he's a guy who's going to just take a job because it's a job just to become a head coach. And right. he has said that like, like you just said, but if there is a job that he would be willing to, to, to go into in a less than ideal situation, it would be the Lakers job. It, it's a job where he has relationships with literally every person in the organization. It's yeah. not like there's been some great turnover. He knows everyone and yeah. everyone knows him. There may be a feeling out period in terms of, of coach front office, you know, new, new roles, but in terms of be a dream job for him, I, I can't see anything that he would be um, more excited about unless he was moving into a ready-made situation. And look, coaches are all, and this is not specific to Luke Walton or anyone else, coaches all are have have, have the ego-driven side of them, where they want sure. to put their fingerprints all over something and yep. make it their own. Yep. So Luke Walton obviously showed that he could, he could, as you said, mine the shop with the Warriors and, and, and maintain everything Steve Kerr had implemented, and obviously with Steve Kerr by his side in in so many different ways um, throughout those forty three games that he was the head coach, um, he wa- I, you have to think that he wants the opportunity to show that he can do this on his own. He can take the lessons that he's taken from Phil Jackson and and Steve Kerr, and yes, that one season playing for Byron Scott in Cleveland, and 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 implement it in his own in his own system and with the Lakers. And the Lakers' job is of is is getting more and more attractive. D'Angelo Russell is, I mean, people still think he is an elite passer and a and a star in the making. Julius Randle is an intriguing player to can fit into a system in so many different ways. Uh, you might have a top three pick. Um, that is a really interesting situation, while not ready made. A really interesting situation to to basically start from scratch. No, and, and I agree. And look, I, like I said, there, there's, there, like I said about that job and the Nick job, there's a lot that there should be there to like, and there are jobs that people should want. But management in both situations is a mess, and I, it just will be really interesting to see how the next few weeks play out. Because I'm with you. Look, all the all the lines connect in you know, all the lines intersect in Luke Walton. He makes the most sense for everybody involved, and you know, like I said, he obviously has some overlap with what, you know, what maybe the grand plan for Genie is. You know, like you meant, I mean, he, I think Mitch Kupchak might have drafted him. I mean, he certainly, if he mm-hmm. didn't, he certainly basically was there his whole career. Jim Buss has been there his whole career. So, yeah, it, make, it makes a ton of sense. So um, I, I want to ask you a couple things about them moving forward in a second. But sure. I, I, would guess, I would guess then right now it sounds like you're somewhere between very and fairly confident that the next coach of the Lakers at some point in the next month or two is going to be Luke Walton. I just think that he, he's, he's the leading candidate at this point. A lot of things can change. There are other good coaches out there. 
Um, and, and maybe the Lakers are going to be leery because they have um, gone down the, the road of, of hiring a, a former Lakers player who one of the primary credentials is that he played for the Lakers. I'm not sure, but I do think that um, that he makes the most sense today, three hours after Byron Scott got was given the boot. Right. Okay, so a couple things quick before I let you go. Um, if, if the Lakers keep their pick in the draft... Um, I, you know, there's there's probably like three or f- probably five guys that are kind of considered a consensus at the top of the draft. Whether Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Dragan Bender, a uh, big guy from Croatia, um, uh, Jalen Brown from Cal, and Chris Dunn from Providence. Um, if if you're the Lakers or if if the Lakers keep their pick, you know, if it's if it's one, two, or three, what what direction do you see them going with? At least as of now. I think they really want a dynamic wing. Um, you know, they feel good about D'Angelo Russell as, as, as a as a as a as a combo guard, as a ball handling guard. Jordan Clarkson's good in the backcourt. Um, I think Brandon Ingram probably makes the most sense for them, based on what little I know about the draft at this point. Um, haven't haven't dove into that as much as I will in the next couple of months. But I think Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons. I mean, they're really all in on getting one of those top two picks. I mean, that's. That's the goal, and, and then you take whichever of those two guys you can. But if they somehow snare the number one pick in the lottery, I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. I mean, if they win the lottery, um, you know, I think I think a Brandon Ingram makes a lot of sense for them. Maybe seems a little more uh, put together uh, in terms of maturity than than, than Ben Simmons, which is something they're going to need. Uh, as we saw this year, I mean, that locker room can be the Lakers locker room has some maturity <laughs> issues. So I think I think we'll leave you, that if, at that. <laughs> I think if you I think if you can bring in the more mature of a couple of choices, you might want to do that. Um, but honestly, at this point, Tim, they they need talent. So if they right. can if they can get that pick, they'll be happy to bring in any of those guys you you listed. If the, if they decide that that they love Dragon Bender over a Chris Dunn or a a, a, a Jalen Brown, whomever, I mean. That's that's fine. I mean, for them, the key thing is just keeping that pick. I think I think any of those guys, they'd be thrilled to add to this this developing core because it's pretty promising, but it's just so early. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, probably you know the sixth man on a good team, but Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, you might have something there. And if you can add a a Brandon Ingram, you can maybe start to see it a little bit. What now? You mentioned you may let's let's run through those three young guys real quick. Uh, D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle both essentially were rookies this year. Julius Randle played one game last year before breaking his leg and being gone for the season. Um, you know they both showed flashes at times. I think it's safe to say you know in total. Um, you know obviously D'Angelo had some issues off the court with the the recent nonsense with the video with Nick Young. But in terms of just an on court standpoint, what did you? see from the two of them and and were the Lakers satisfied with what they got from both of them in essentially their rookie years uh yeah Russell was a bit of a slow starter as I think everyone knows um you know had a really good stretch in February right after the all-star break when he went back to the starting lineup I think everybody was was pretty was pretty pleased with that you know he had a couple 30 point games so they see that as a score um you know it's kind of hard because I mean all you ever heard from Byron Scott was well, it doesn't matter what they're doing because they're not playing good defense, and right. that was the only right. that was the only like public public evaluation you heard on those guys. So, you know, but internally, I think everybody saw that you know D'Angelo remains one of the elite young passers in the in the game in a different offense, a more spread out offense. You'll probably see that a lot more. Julius Randle, unique talent who has to uh, learn to harness 
his uh, enthusiasm, maybe is the word. Um, it doesn't really have a back to the basket game, but I mean, does he need one? I mean, he's he's an attacking. He probably shouldn't have four. Much of a back a back to the basket game, really. I mean, he's kind of right, a right. smaller four anyway. Right, right, and so he's an attacking four, left-handed. Um, you know, the the jumper evolved this year, got better. Uh, you know, can't finish with his right hand, but um, again, those are like off-season things that you that you uh, that you address in the offseason. So I, I think that they felt like they had a, they had good foundational first years, if not spectacular. Right. No, actually, you know, it's funny. I just I just looked up Julius Randle's stats, and I, I saw he, he finished with a double-double, which is pretty good, and a couple assists a game. Did, did, yeah, he had, he had like 35 double-doubles yeah, or something, no. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, 34, he, he was, 34. He was, yeah. he, was, he was really consistent on the boards. I mean, there were, there were some games where he was sensational on the boards. He had a couple of 20-rebound games, and – if he's a guy who can give you fourteen and ten and and assists, yeah, he had he had a triple double toward the end of the year, the first of his career. Obviously, um, he does have that skill set. Obviously, there's a lot to harness there, right? But if they if they can if they can figure out how to make it work in in a system, um, he could be a very scary guy. My question for you about him was: Do you think he's ever going to be able to shoot enough to be a real stretch four? The, the mechanics need some work. Um, that's something he shot that you, about twenty eight percent this year for listeners. Yeah, he, he's probably going to need to um, probably start over with the mechanics. He he worked really hard with Tracy Murray uh, throughout this year on that. Tracy Murray was brought in as a shooting coach. Uh, you kind of have to assume. I mean, I, I I have no idea actually at this point about the assistants, but I mean, who knows whether Tracy Murray is in the mix as a, as a shooting coach or if they bring someone else in, um, uh, you know, to work with him, but. Uh, that was something they always kind of targeted as something to do in the off season is just strip down the mechanics and, and teach them how to shoot. Uh, you know, there've been players who've done that and there are also players who've never figured it out. So right. that's going to be on him. Uh, now let's, let's fast forward a bit to the summer. Um, obviously, you know, you said they need to add a lot of talent. Um, right now the Lakers have five guys under contract for next season. Uh, six actually, including Anthony Brown. Um, one of them being Nick Young. Uh, just without getting into everything else, do you think that Nick Young is on the Lakers next year either, or, or do you think that he's either stretch-waved or traded? Uh, Byron Scott, it's all connected because a lot of the issues with Nick were that he did not fit with what Byron was doing. Byron was always preaching defense with Nick, and let's be real, that's not what Nick is in the <laughs> NBA to do. So... So there was always an ill, uh, right. an ill match, but I, I think that things have taken enough of a turn with Nick and the Lakers, um, despite the goodwill from a couple of years ago, and they gave him the nice contract where a stretch might make sense for them. Uh, I think he has two years and ten about million dollars. It's about left. eleven million dollars yeah. between yeah. His, between his final year and his player option. Right, and and so you know, a stretch probably makes sense. I don't think he has much appeal on the trade market. People I've talked to with the organization do not see him uh, coming back, and they don't see that as the likely outcome. I should say so. Right. Um, if they, unless unless somebody gets really Nick Young happy on the trade market, or if they can sweeten a deal somehow, which they probably aren't in a position to do, uh, stretching probably makes the most sense. Or they could wave him outright and just follow the contract. But, right. I'm guessing they would stretch him. So yeah. let's assume they do. That opens up another three million dollars. That they'd probably have somewhere north of. Somewhere between sixty and seventy million dollars, right? Depending on what happens with their with their pick. So, um, either way, they've got enough money to sign a couple big fish this summer. Um, what what do you see them 
I mean, let's just assume Durant doesn't sign there because I think we both agree it's not going to happen. So well, setting that aside, what do you see them trying to do in free agency? Well, I think they'll do what they've always done, which uh, is 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 go after the top guys. So, I mean, if, if they can get a meeting with Kevin Durant, they will. Um, but those I'm sure they'll get, and I'm sure they'll get a meeting, right? Too, but but th- and those have not gone well in the last couple of years, as <laughs> we know, with Lamarcus Aldridge no. and, and Carmelo Anthony and Dwight, and just on and on. But you know, the Lakers are are probably in a position where they're going to have to start bringing guys in who aren't your A level stars, and 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 really going after guys like Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Al, I don't know if Al Horford makes sense for them. To be honest, he's a guy that keeps popping up. I don't really see him as a great fit. No, why not? Here. I just the only reason to me the only reason to me that he wouldn't make sense is if you don't think he's going to be good enough in a couple of years because he's a little older to fit with your core. Right. I think that's part of it. I think there is kind of that generational thing. Um, but how old is he? Is he like 29? He's around like somewhere around 30. I'll look it up while you're talking. But, you know, I see him. He's such he's such a um, central piece of playmaking big. Um, and you have young, really athletic players. I'm just not sure if I see if I can see that really meshing on the floor. But I mean, I, I mean, he's sensational. I mean, he's he's an all star probably anywhere he plays. So I don't see that as as a huge um as a huge drawback, I, I just feel like a, a Hassan Whiteside makes a little more sense of rim protector with um, Julius Randle, who does not give you much defensively. Um, but you know, if things were to go, you know, whatever direction, I mean, he's a great guy to have on the list. And um, who else is out there this year? De- DeRozan, an LA guy. I think they'll absolutely reach out to. Um, that would make a lot of sense. Um, but I think those are the guys they're going after. I think they're going after those big fish on the market um, who are young enough that they can be cornerstone players for the next six, seven years. Do you think the Lakers offer Hassan Mac- Whiteside a max contract this summer? Because if you say yes, yeah, Hassan Whiteside I, I think I, is going to be a Laker, and that is going to be amazing. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Let me let me hedge just a little bit because it is April. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did because it's going to be amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Let's just say that I think Hassan Whiteside in that locker room last season would be fascinating. And I, I think that, especially with the way these playoffs are going, I think DeMar DeRozan, the, I more and more, every day I think more and more he's going to be a Laker. Well then, I mean, but then it's like you look at a team that has I agree. Angela Russell, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson. I don't think Hassan that, Whiteside, Demar Derozan. I don't I, think I, that makes. I don't think that makes a ton of sense for them. I I don't. Yeah. I don't think Derozan makes sense with Clarkson and Russell. I don't think that that Whiteside makes sense for the Lakers either. I he's a very talented player. I think he needs to be with a team like Miami that's got a lot of veteran infrastructure. And stability around him. Sure. I think if uh, I don't know, maybe it would work out. It would be fascinating if he ended up on the Lakers. I just it would be it would really be something. I mean, he is a heck of a talent as he's shown this year. But I mean, it would be that would be something. That would be something. But from a skill set standpoint, I agree with you. I think he makes sense, and he's young enough. I think he'll be. I think he'll be twenty seven this summer. Um, uh, you know, from a from a skill set standpoint, I definitely think yeah he'll turn twenty seven in June. So you know you'd have him in his late twenties. That should be his prime, and 
he like you said next to Julius Randle he makes a ton of sense as a shot blocker and a and a and a uh, you know another athletic guy for them to have in the interior. Uh, Jeremy, I'm just looking through the list just for fun. Jeremy Lin is available. Yeah, Jeremy Lin, think I, Jeremy always Lin, I think always back go back to that them. well. I don't think he'll. I actually think he'll be in Brooklyn, uh, but I don't. I don't think he'll be back there. I mean, look. I mean, to me, they they should. You know, guys like Chandler Parsons and Nick Batum and DeRozan. Sure. I mean, I'm sure all those guys make sense. I mean, I think the only guy they're not going to go after among the top guys is Mike Conley since they already have a point guard. Right. So I don't think that's an option. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to go after all those guys. I, I mean, to me, I'm sure they'll try to get Al Horford. I don't think Al Horford's going there. Um, but the, the, and, and just the guy who keeps coming up in conversations, and I'm not sure how things are going to play out up north, but um, – I would not be surprised at all to see the Lakers make a huge push uh, for Harrison Barnes. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense. I mean, look, I, they should make a play for him. They should make a play for Bradley Beal. They should go after mm-hmm. all of these young restricted guys that are on teams. They should, they should try. Like, those are guys that fit with their timeline. So if they could pry one of these guys away from a team for, you know, Bradley Beal I don't think is going anywhere under any circumstances. But if, you know, if Harrison Barnes gets a max contract, I could see the Warriors deciding they could spend their money elsewhere, you know, especially given some of the contracts they have coming up. Um, You know, or if they manage to get Kevin Durant somehow to go there. I mean, you know, I think he would make a ton of sense for them, especially if they're trying to find another wing. I mean, why not sign a 23-year-old who's on a team in your division anyway? There are a lot of people in the league who think Harrison Barnes is a star, um, and the Lakers, as we know, are are very thirsty for for those sorts of stars. Yes, um, yes, now, there's are. there's also always the risk of of getting a little carried away with with players who have uh, enjoyed success of very very good teams. Um, but Harrison Barnes, in a very short time, I think has come a, has come along each year, despite injury and and. He's a guy I think the Lakers are going to be watching very, very closely. Yeah, no, I I agree totally. Um, and one final thing, um, we haven't really talked about him at all. I agree with you on Jordan Clarkson. I think he's a sixth man on a good team. He, you know, he's a he's a backup guard who comes in and scores for you. That said, you know, he's got early bird rights this summer, but he's going to get paid a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you think there's any scenario under any kind of you know, poison pill clause or anything that the Lakers wouldn't bring him back. I mean, everything I've been told is that the Lakers are just bringing him back, and it's not—it's just not even an issue. It's, right. it's barely a topic of discussion. Just figure out a number and, and get it done, right. um, or let him go figure out a number and get it done. So um, that, to me, seems like a done deal. Now, things obviously we've seen in the past where situations get toxic in negotiations, or 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 they just end up you know, not liking each other, right, but I don't, right. but at this point, I mean, Jordan Clarkson is the former, uh, 47th pick, 46th pick, uh, has really, um, has won the Lakers over with his work ethic, shooting, slashing, uh, you know, they see him as the complete package. Now, obviously probably not a, uh, an all-star, uh, but, but a really good scoring, athletic, hardworking guard who they view in their long-term plans. Right. That makes sense. Um, all right, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by here late. Uh, before before I let you go, uh, tell the people um, where they can find you on various social medias and uh, and plug whatever you've got to uh, to plug from your work at the Register. Uh, just it's just at Bill Orem on I think everything. Uh, lots of really cute pictures of my baby on Instagram. And, Very cute and, baby. And, Congrats and, and to Bill twi- for that. And Twitter and. Uh, 
you know, I mean, obviously we wrote a ton of Kobe stuff in the build up to Kobe's final game. Uh, we, we went through his entire career in a five part series, chapter by chapter, various, various looks at, at different periods of his career. We looked at him as a, as, as, as his drive and as, as, as a businessman. And, and we went back and looked at, at the, the, the less positive period of his career as well. So, I mean, I think we really did a, with, with a team of people, covered it all. So if you're looking for a comprehensive look at Kobe Bryant, I think the Orange County Register uh, uh, gives you something to read, at least over a lunch break or something. I, I just realized that we didn't, we spent this whole podcast. And Did not never, talk about Kobe. Well, we didn't talk about Kobe, but and I don't want to talk about anything else about Kobe except for the last game. I was at Win 73 in, La, in in Oakland, so I was not in Los Angeles for that game. Um, but for listeners, I, just if you could, I'm sure people would like to know from your perspective as a guy who's been around Kobe the last couple of years, was around him all this year, what that what that final night was like. Well it was it was it was surreal. I think I used that word seven times in my last story or something like that. Because because the the build up to that moment to Kobe's last game had been had been so intense and there was such expectation that it, it just there was no way that it could live up to it. There was just nothing Kobe could do that would match the expectation of that last game. And then, in true Kobe fashion, he goes out there and did it. So I'm sitting there on deadline trying to write, trying to think of something to write, because how do you capture that in any way that gives the reader anything? And I've got confetti falling all over me with you know little customized pieces of 24 printed confetti, just stunned, because I don't think we'll see anything like that in terms of um, just a moment uh, for a very long time. I mean, obviously, I mean, it was the Lakers' 17th win and, you know, the sixth time he'd scored 60 points in his career. Um, but it was it was absolutely surreal. I mean, so many times this year where he just got out there and shot three for 17 for 12 points or whatever it was and and barely looked like he belonged on the court. And, and I don't buy into this whole let's dismiss Kobe's last game because he took 50 shots. I mean, he shot 22 of 50, which is, I mean, if you're going to shoot 50 shots, that's still pretty efficient. He, he made his last five shots, carried the team to a win. I mean, you still got to be able to make those shots down the stretch. I mean, those were defended jump shots to win a game um, that maybe he only was the only person who really cared about. But I mean, I think that that was a moment that, uh, will live on for a very, very long time. And that's why I needed you to talk about it at the end, so that was good. Um, you can uh, you can find me at the Washington Post. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Uh, please give a five-star rating or review to the podcast. It helps with it, so thank you for that. Um, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States uh, for the theme music for the podcast. Much appreciated on their part. Um, Bill? Thanks a lot for for a late night uh, chat about the the insanity that is the Lakers. Now, hopefully, you can uh, you can get a little more relaxation in before I imagine there's some kind of press conference at the facility tomorrow. Or no? Uh, they, I, I, not sure yet. That hasn't been the Lakers' mo when when they've when they've parted ways. So we'll we'll see if they if they do that. I imagine more. It'll be something down the road. A conversation with Mitch Kupchak, the general manager. But uh, that could change. Well, in that case, happy uh, happy coaching search beginning to you. They are always the uh, the 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 love of every beat light writer is to spend an off season trying to figure out who the coach is going to be. So have and, fun and here that. and here for a second, I thought I was going to get a summer off with that without the without a coaching search. You know, Tim, before I let you go, before you let me let you go, 
it's it's just crazy to think that six years ago the Lakers won their last championship, but this fall will be the fourth time in six seasons that they have a new coach. So it's it's really just a sign of the times. It's uh it's it's been in, it's a new it's a new era in Lakers basketball. I think in a lot of ways, and and the fact that the fact that they parted ways with Kobe Bryant and uh, now parting ways with Byron Scott and everything else going on with management, it's uh it's certainly going to be interesting. So I'm glad I'm glad to be there to write about it. So Bill, thanks again for stopping by, and for everybody listening, thank you for uh, thank you for sticking around with us, and we'll talk to you soon.